you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I am delighted to have with me Aaron Trahan. Aaron is the founder of Performance Mindset Coaching, where he helps executive leaders unleash and reach their full potential and we co-create strategic roadmaps for them to accelerate the path of becoming their best version. Prior to founding his own coaching firm, Aaron spent 15, more than 15 years as a senior level executive leader within public company corporate environments and inside early stage startups, where his roles and responsibilities included overseeing GTM strategy, operations, people and organization development, strategic growth initiatives, and performance management. As a young executive, Aaron made every mistake there was to make. But as a good student, he learned valuable lessons from those experiences and now applies the learnings to help others become better leaders and executives. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thanks, Wade. I appreciate you having me. So there's one question I'd like to ask everybody that comes on a show to get us started, and that is, what's your story? How'd you get to where you're at? And um, whatever you want to throw in there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question to kind of start off with. And yeah, I think uh, in, your, in your intro, it kind of where it starts. I was... Um, the past 15 plus years for me has been spent in senior level executive leadership positions, but that actually started at a very early age. I was um, by way of uh, hard work and a couple battlefield promotions here and there. I was a 23 year old kid who was put in charge of running a hundred million dollar business, uh, you know, growing at you know 30 percent on a year over year basis, and so. Um, you know, while I had a a really solid understanding and appreciation for strategy and operations, um, you know, as I kind of grew my career at that early age to eventually running a billion dollar business in my late 20s, in that gap, and I think in your intro said it best, during that period, I made every mistake there absolutely was to make as an executive. There's just some things that you have to learn on the job. And especially things like people leadership, helping people grow and kind of reach the next level. There's no, there's no college program for that. There's no real hands-on experience, especially um, when you're managing large teams, most of which are made up of, pro- of professionals twice your age and quite frankly, thinks they can do the better, a better job than you are. Um, so that led me to, quickly realizing, you know, what got me here is not going to get me there. I then launched my own kind of personal development and leadership development journey of bringing in outside help in the form of a performance coach. And so it allowed me to see a lot of the blind spots that I couldn't see on my own. It helped me uh, kind of understand where were the development areas that I needed to prioritize and, and make an impact in um, and that's what led me kind of really over the past five to seven years of, you know, understanding that I really needed to become a better leader of people. I really needed to help people and everyone around me get to the next level. And, you know, something strange happen- happens kind of along those journeys. And everybody talks about, or it's very popular to see, like, follow your passion, you know, do what, do what, you know, gives you passion and purpose. And, Sometimes you can't can't see that ahead of time. You kind of got to go through some trial and error to really understand where a passion kind of evolves, where an interest really starts to grab you. 
And for me, it was working with high performance individuals and being that servant leader, helping them get to their next level, taking them from current state to ideal state. And so that's what's kind of led me to uh, no longer able to ignore that gravitational pull. And I launched my own performance uh, leadership performance coaching firm, you know, last year. And so now I've, um, I'm doing that on a full-time basis. I work with executive leaders, startup founders, entrepreneurs, really serving as a personal chief strategy officer for them, leveraging my background and helping them avoid all the different uh, trap doors and potholes along their own unique growth journeys um, that I experienced firsthand. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So many, you know, so many people kind of rise quickly through battlefield promotions, things like that. I had, I had a very similar career trajectory. And and we all kind of think of this great path where, uh, you know, where we spend time, we're trained for the oh. next job, you know, we have like leadership classes or whatever it might be that teaches to do exactly that, but it hardly ever works out that way. Right. And so, you know, so much is learning by doing. And so much is what you said is, is kind of learning by failure. That's um, right. But I, I find that to be a tough thing for a lot of leaders to swallow. So, so how, how did you reconcile that in your mind? And what advice do you have for those young leaders regarding their relationship with failure? Yeah, I, I you know, wait, I, I really couldn't agree with you anymore. I think when you look at what holds professionals back, it's so easy to point at all the external things, the economy, the internal politics, the uh, whatever it is. But really, a lot of the obstacles kind of come down to our relationship with failure. Um, and so much of it's internal. And I, I love to, to use the... Um, you know, the, the famous Henry Ford quote, and that's whether you think you can or think you can't, you'll always be right. Um, and so something strange happen, happens kind of along the way of, you know, as we start to have some success, as we start to get a little bit of notoriety, as we start to get some experience under our belt, um, our risk tolerance kind of starts to drop. All of a sudden, failure takes on this uh, this thing that we don't want to touch. It's almost like a fire. It's too hot. We're afraid of what people will will think. We don't want to take the risk. You know, we don't want to drift into uncertainty. And so, for me, and kind of what I work with clients on is really changing that relationship, changing that perspective we have with failure. And the key point is failure and success, like we've been trained, but it doesn't have to be opposite. They don't have to be on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And instead, if we can change the relationship we have around failure and start thinking about failure, not as the opposite of success, but it's part of the journey towards getting us to where we want to be, um, it becomes more palatable. It becomes more acceptable. It becomes less scary. And so when we can change and just slightly shift our pers our perspective around this big scary word of failure and start treating it more as learning feedback loops the best leaders that i've seen the more feedback loops they have the more opportunities to learn the more that they're focused on getting and being a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today are the ones that rise the fastest and you can't do that by avoiding failure yeah, it's so true. So failures look, you know, it, it's a tough thing for the leaders, but it's also 
sometimes their leaders and their managers, mm-hmm. they don't have a high tolerance for failure. So, so how do you handle that? Yeah, I think, you, you know, when you really, when you really peel that layer of the onion back and, and look at the psychology around, you know, what drives that? I think it's it's human nature to it's human nature to always want the sure thing. It's human nature to always want the slam dunk. And so what that what that manifests as in corporate and business environments is show me all the data. Show me where this is a, a no-brainer. Show me where there's a guaranteed ROI. Um, but I'm preaching to the choir here. That, that just doesn't exist. We don't live in a world of guarantees. We live in a world of probabilities. So when you think about taking action, and this is always where the fear of failure shows up, it, that, that is where the big obstacle and that wall is, is it prevents so much action from being taken. And it's because everybody's looking for the perfect opportunity, the perfect moment in time, the perfect uh, scenario that generates that guaranteed ROI. When in reality, we've just got to embrace that there is no perfect. And so when you can start developing a relationship with taking imperfect action, that's going to allow you to grow competence in a given area, which then gives you confidence that spins back and creates a flywheel of with higher confidence, you're more willing to take more imperfect action. It leads to, in my opinion, the most effective an important balancing acts that an executive leader needs to be able to balance. And that is taking action with learning. Yeah. If that scenario becomes imbalanced where there's too much action being taken without learning or too much learning happening without action, it's always going to drive undesirable, undesirable results. And, and the fear of failure is a big enemy of that. So when you can effectively balance action and learning I think that's the key to always being comfortable with imperfect action, learning from that action, applying the learnings, recalibrate and keep acting. Um, so that's that's kind of, in my view, kind of what sits under that fear of failure that consistently blocks action from being taken. So how, how do you bring into an organization this this idea of balancing action and learning? Yeah, yeah, I think it's... I. I I think it, it, there needs to, you know, first and foremost, always has to be a bias for action, right? I, I think it's it always kind of comes back to understanding what the what the appetite is for imperfect action. What is the risk tolerance of the organization? How do they treat failure? I think there's plenty of examples out there of, especially organizations that are so risk averse. They've, you know, been around for maybe a, a long time and um, they're just not willing to take risk versus organizations like, and you can even take an, an, the Amazon example, right? Of celebrating the massive failure that was the fire phone. So I think when you look at a senior leadership team, that's where it starts. You can bring in any coach, you can bring in any development program, you can bring in any outside help you want to preach everything that I'm preaching today. But if the actions and the behavior of the leadership team always postures itself as risk averse and doesn't celebrate their employees and their teams taking that imperfect action, 
creating a culture of learning versus avoiding failure, nothing underneath them will ever take hold. I think it's so important for every single division, every single team, every employee to see the leadership team acknowledging that learning is a core value, celebrating some of the missteps, but more importantly, showing the organization maybe what was learned from this misstep or this mistake or this or this failure. And so it really comes down to the leadership team needing to be the torchbearers of celebrating and changing the relationship with mistakes and failure. Now, there's another side of that. You can't keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. You've every every one of us has the responsibility that we damn well better be good students to the wise teacher of failure. Um, so that's on all of us, but it should not prevent the initial step of of what is perceived as imperfect action from being taken. Yeah, I think it's important. It's an important skill to be able to discern types of failure. Mm. So, you know, you yeah. have the failure you learn from, but then, you know, you also have the failure that you keep doing the same thing over again, or you have the failure where you're breaking laws, procedures, you know, established right. things where other people have failed and built. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we don't punish all failures, nor do we celebrate all failures. It's important that's, to just the difference. That's exactly right. I think it's, it's, and again, I think this ultimately falls back on strong leadership, right? And so when, when leaders and as a leadership team, when you can give the organization that type of transparency, that type of context on what types of failures, what type of mistakes will be celebrated, needs to happen, is part of the culture, um, I think it just sets the right expectations. Like so much in life ultimately comes down to the context and the clarity behind setting the right expectations and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it needs there. There, there is levels to it, right? There is nuances, and uh, a failure or a mistake can't be can't be a, a one size fits all. There are different there are different mistakes that should be acceptable. But again, if the same mistake keeps happening forty five times in a row, that can't be celebrated either. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's um. I think there's a couple of things that go on with failure. You know, you know, there's the, um, the overanalyzing, right? The, mm. you know, we have to get the thing perfect, right? That you talked about. Um, but I think there's also a comfort zone, mm. you know, complacency that kind of creeps in. Uh, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of good salespeople. There's a lot of really skilled um, sales executives out there. But the one thing that I try to always preach uh, and, and talk to my clients about is beware of that voice inside the comfort zone. It is the best salesperson on the planet, bar none. It's always going to be the one that's dishing out free passes. It's always going to be the one that's almost your AI generator of uh, excuses on why not to do something. Um, and so it, it, it really ties in nicely to everything that we've already talked about. And that is, you know, you, you, you've got to figure out how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And what a lot of people don't talk about, and I had to learn this the hard way as an executive who was young, who was generating phenomenal results and had a lot of the, the notoriety that came along with it. I started to kind of believe the own, my, the own hype about me, right? And so 
something happens on the other side of that combination of success and experience. When you start getting both of those, of having success and having you know experience, there you have to make sure you're not leaving any door cracked open in your house that allows complacency to get set in. Because as you start getting more comfortable, as status quo continues to be okay, as you built a resume to where just by natural human instinct, it's going to, you know, it's going to make you a bit more risk averse. You don't want to, you have something to lose now versus, you know, when you were that 23 year old executive where you could just go guns blazing with nothing to lose. So I think when you're looking at the, the comfort zone is you always need to be in that state of some type of discomfort of, of challenging, stretching yourself you know, making sure you're taking on those assignments and those initiatives that allow you to live on the edges of your current capabilities. Because if not, you start believing the hype, you start getting a little bit too uncomfortable with your success. You start to kind of start showing up, going through the motions. Complacency will always find a way to sneak through those cracks in the door you left open. And before you even know it, it it happens so unconsciously you're stuck in a comfort zone to where shit, you kind of, you've stopped learning. You're, you're, you're kind of that up and to the right trajectory starts looking like a bit of a plateau um, to where you're just, um, you're just keeping, you're just treading water and you're no longer growing. And it's just a very, very slippery slope that happens when you start kind of operating on the edges of your current capabilities. Yeah, exactly. You know, just, and it is so important to do it because nothing ever, nothing epic ever happens in your comfort zone. Yeah, no, it's it's so so true. And the one the one thing that I kind of talk about is is I kind of I, I've long wanted to study successful people and not just flash in the pan success. Anybody can be great for six months, a year, a couple of years. Anybody can put together a, a, a nice stretch. But I loved examining people that were successful, but continued to elevate their level of success, continued to find new levels. And for me, it really came down to uh, distilling it to a very simple three-step formula. I I now kind of refer to this and work with clients on, um, it's called the three-out success formula. And it's what successful people continue to do to find new levels of success. And one is they out-prepare everyone around them. They always are doing their homework. They've always done their due diligence. They're never showing up caught off guard. Doesn't mean they're right all the time, but they've done the homework to where they put themselves in a good position to have a lot of good options to choose from. Number two is they outwork and out-execute everyone around them. This doesn't mean that they're wearing a badge of honor on their on their sleeve of working 80 hours a week. It's really around execution. They when something, when they get involved with something, they're going to move the ball down the field. They're going to make a positive impact. They're going to make it better. But it's really the third one that shows up that's always been kind of the kryptonite for complacency in the comfort zone. And the third one is they outlearn everyone around them. So when you can be just a consistent outlearner and you kind of use that as your, uh, competitive advantage, 
it's so difficult to get stuck into a comfort zone and let complacency creep in when you're a learning machine and you're just constantly out learning everyone around you. And it's that third component that's always been the missing ingredient and the separator between those who continue to find new levels of success versus those that have a little bit of success and then plateau out. Yeah, so true. I mean, so many times we've heard work, 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 right? And uh, and the learning is kind of a new twist on working smarter. That's right. That's 100%. It's like, it doesn't matter what your title is. doesn't matter if you're the highest paid person in the room. Are you showing up with an open mind and with a growth mindset capable of learning something from everyone in, in the room? I started doing a little trick once I kind of start to started to to do this is you know when you're an executive sometimes you may be the highest ranking person in the room it's easy to show up and just get status updates and not learn anything so i kind of started the uh the wdil kind of program where in my notebooks i would force myself to write down those initials and i would have to be personally responsible to myself of filling out what did i learn from this meeting it then forced me to ask questions I otherwise wouldn't have asked. It forced me to go a layer deeper uh, than I otherwise would to kind of get the details, get the context, understand the why something's happening. Um, and so it's just such an important part of making sure complacency never shows up on your doorstep. And the single best way I know to do that, kind of going back to your answer, is just stay a lifelong learner. Stay in learning mode. And when you do that, um, it's, it's a, it's a great way to kind of keep, uh, keep the comfort zone away. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I love that. You know, that's a, that's a good uh, takeaway right there for everybody. As for you sure. listen to this podcast, f- fill out the WDIL. <laughs> so you, you talked about learning from everyone in a room and, and that is something that, um, can be challenging, especially for leaders, you know, a, a lot of relatively new leaders, especially that, you know, they feel that because of the leader, they're the smartest person in a room, mm. or they need to be the smartest person in a room, or people need to think they are the smartest person in a room. Um, so it really kind of puts blocks up to learning from those that uh, you know are below them in the hierarchy or, or even peers. How how do you help leaders get around that? Yeah, yeah. I think it. You know what? What it ultimately comes back to is I think we all have to answer the question to ourselves: Is am I coachable? Because what happens when you, you know, it kind of goes back to that double-edged sword, right? It's the dark side of success. When you have success and you have experience, you start leaning more towards the uh, the end of the spectrum where you want to show up and, and um, you want to show up and broadcast the things that have made you successful. You want to show up and, and broadcast your experience. And so you can easily find yourself without really having a strong intent to, to be so, but you're acting like and you're operating as the smartest person in the room. The smartest person in the room is not going to be the one that outlearns everybody else. And so when you think about, am I coachable? It kind of goes back to what we mentioned earlier, is the, is the executives and the professionals that have the most learning feedback loops are the ones that are always going to to learn and accelerate their growth the fastest. And so when I think about so many leaders popping pop into my mind right now around who's not coachable, who's the smartest person in the room, 
they oftentimes don't want feedback. They don't, they don't care about your perspective. They don't, they don't want to hear any constructive criticism. They, they kind of think they've got the world figured out. I learned an extremely valuable lesson from a mentor uh, because I found myself in that same position. My late twenties, I had all this success. I've got the titles and I wasn't coachable at that moment in time. I was, I was in my own mind, the smartest person in the room. Wasn't true, but I thought I was. Um, but when I got this advice from a mentor on constructive criticism, so many people have their egos wrapped up in their resume, their egos wrapped up in their accomplishments. And so there's this defensiveness. They take personally when someone um, gives them constructive feedback. The perspective I want to share with your audience is when it comes to feedback and it comes to constructive criticism and creating those feedback loops, take it seriously, but not personally. So when you can take it seriously, you approach it with a sense of empathy. You, you, you could shine a light into a, into a blind spot. It may not be the truth that you see. It may not be your reality, but the perception is a, a, a reality for someone else. And it's very important that you understand that and incorporate that. So you don't have to take it personally. Don't need to get pissed off. Don't need to get upset. Don't need to get defensive, but take it seriously. And even if there's just 25% of something that they say that's applicable, you can apply that immediately and make yourself better after receiving that feedback than, than before. So to answer your question is stay coachable. Always increase the number of feedback loops you have coming in. Don't take it personally, but take it seriously because there's always going to be nuggets of wisdom in there that you can apply to make yourself better. Yeah, I mean, that's a great nugget in and of itself, right? Take it seriously, but not personally. That's correct. A, a great takeaway. Um, I have one more question before I let you get out of here. Sure. That is, how do people find you? Yeah, I'm I'm most visible on on LinkedIn. So I think if you want to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm sharing uh, this type of message, these type of uh, lessons, um, my own um, kind of learnings from my own mistakes on there almost on a daily basis. And you'll be able to connect with me in all ways, uh, you know, from there. But yeah, that's that's where I like to kind of connect most and would love to have a, a conversation with those interested uh, to see if um, see if any of these pathologies can help them go from their current state to their ideal state. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about on this podcast, right? Is, is really kind of getting to that, uh, you know, the best version of themselves. That's 100% right. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you ha for having me. And thank you for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, follow us, like us, comment, all those good things on wherever it is that you find a good podcast. Mm -hmm.